Hello and welcome to Music of the River City. This is your host, Chris Gooden. Today's episode is a good one that I know you're going to enjoy, especially if you're a songwriter or if you enjoy thinking about the songwriting process. Doug Spires and Tim Goodson are both music ministers here in Vicksburg, Doug at First Baptist and Tim at Woodlawn, and they are both great songwriters. I decided it would be fun to interview Doug and Tim together because they've become collaborators over the last few years and have done some great work as a songwriting team. In this interview, they both talk about how they got into music, ministry, and songwriting. We dove deep in this conversation, and we ended up talking for a couple hours. So I'm going to give you a really quick music I love, and I think you'll love too. And then it's on to the interview with Doug Spires and Tim Goodson. like to listen to music when you exercise like wearing headphones at the gym or on a run what about when you do housework I for one cannot wash dishes effectively without some music to get me pumped up if you're like me you're always in search of a great song to add to your workout slash yard work slash housework slash drive to work playlist we could get into the science about what makes a good workout song ideal beats per minute, volume levels, etc. Serious researchers have actually studied it, but I think it's pretty simple. A good workout song needs to rock. It needs to get you hyped. You know one when you hear one. About 10 years ago, I found one of the best workout songs ever, and I've been using it to get pumped up ever since. On today's segment of Music I Love, and I think you'll love too, I'll be talking about the song Bold and Underlined, by Future of Forestry. Future of Forestry is a band founded by composer, singer, and multi-instrumentalist Eric Oyoung, who has been the sole permanent member since the band started in 2006. The band has recently focused almost exclusively on Christmas music, kind of a Mannheim steamroller, but with a much more contemporary sound. Their Christmas stuff is really cool. It's worth checking out. It's kind of ambient and orchestral, and it's very beautiful. But that's not what we're talking about today. Between 2009 and 2012, the band put out a series of EPs called the Travel Series, and it was on the third release in this series called Travel 3 that Bold and Underlined was released. Now, I honestly can't remember how I came across this band or this song, but it only took about three seconds to tell this song is an absolute monster of a workout song. It's got the one thing every Pump It Up song needs, an absolutely killer guitar riff. Lyrically, I really don't know what the song is about, but it doesn't even matter. You're not trying to listen to the lyrics. You're trying to vacuum or lift weights or whatever it is. Another cool thing about this song is that there's a really killer organ riff in the outro that combines with a guitar riff to pump it up even more. You will be hyped by the end of this song. You will be focused on lifting weights or vacuuming or washing dishes or whatever it is that you do. That's why I love the song, Bold and Underlined, and I think you'll love it too. Check it out. I'm here with Tim Goodson and Doug Spires. Tim is the Minister of Music at Woodlawn Baptist Church. Doug is the Minister of Music here at 
First Baptist Church of Vicksburg, and we're doing the, the interview here in the audiovisual studio at First Baptist, which uh, Doug set up a couple years ago. We'll probably talk about that. <laughs> that we will. Um, but uh, this is really cool. So you're getting a two-for-one today in terms of uh, music ministers. I thank both of y'all for, for joining me on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. So you guys are songwriting partners, collaborators, which is really cool. And I plan, you know, have played a lot of your arrangements, Tim, already over the years. So I've got a lot of sheets of sheets of music that says arranged by Tim Goodson on there. So I'm already kind of familiar with some of what you can do. But what I want to do in our interview today is let our listeners, first off, get to know sort of a little bit of each of, about each of you, who you are, and how you came to have a career in music ministry. And then talk a, bit, a little bit about your songwriting and your songwriting partnership. I know that you both write your own stuff, that you work together on stuff, and I know that our listeners would would love to hear about that kind of stuff too. So I'll start. I'll start with our guest, I guess, since we're at okay. First Baptist, and right. we'll uh, we'll start. So we'll start with you, Tim. Now, Tim, you, you grew up in Vicksburg, is that right? I did. Yes, I, I grew up in Vicksburg. I've been in Vicksburg almost my entire life. That short little stint at Delta State and then a short little stint at Florence, but okay. pretty much I've been here. Okay. And uh, and also, just for clarification, and you probably get this a lot too, I am Chris Goodin. He is Tim Good Goodson. Son, and that's right. We are yeah. not related. If you have, For some reason, if you have our name, you get everything. Goodin, Goodwin, Goodson, Goodwin, Goodman, Goodman I, all of them. Goodrum. <laughs> I've been Goodrum before, so, yeah. yeah. So, but no, so we're not related, but... Um, so how did you first get started in music? Oh, that goes back a long Go way. Go all the way back, man. Um, I mean, my parents have pictures of me in, in, in diapers, boots, with headphones on. Nice. I mean, I, I, I've loved music since I can remember. Um, my first, I guess, uh, educational experience with music, I started piano lessons whenever I was about seven. Okay. Uh, seven or eight, something like that. I, I took piano lessons for four years. Mm-hmm. Of course, they wanted me to practice the things that I didn't want to practice, all of mm-hmm. the uh, romantic classical type stuff. Baroque, oh my goodness, I could not stand Bach <laughs> at all. But um, anyway, so I did that for four years, but about the end of that time, my grandfather gave me a guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I kind of played with it. Actually, I got a bass guitar first, mm-hmm. and I was trying to play lead lines with a bass guitar. And mm-hmm. then he gave me a, an electric guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I through through junior high and high school, I was in choir, I was in band, and it was obvious that, that I, I loved music. I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with it mm-hmm. um, because I liked every aspect of it. Now, my, my dad listened to 60s rock, you know, a lot of Credence Clearwater Revival, mm-hmm. a lot of Almond Brothers, that kind of stuff, and, and both of my parents liked Motown, so that's that's what I grew up trying to sing and trying to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so... So did you, was your family musicians, did you come from a musical family, or just enjoyed music? You know, both of my parents uh, sing. Okay. Both of them couldn't, you know, sing parts, they sang in choir. Uh, my grandfather, he, he played guitar, he, he played much like Chet Atkins. He okay. Could, he could have a bass line, rhythm... Uh, and melody going all at one time. And I, I was kind of baffled how in the world I can't even play one of those parts and you can play all of them mm-hmm. at the same time. Uh, he was really, really good. He, he tried to teach me. I look back and, and I tell the story. I thought it was funny that he would he would try to teach me when I was about 13 or 14 about these dominants and subdominants <laughs> and tonics. And I was like, man, this old crazy man doesn't know what he's talking about. 
And then I went to Delta State, and one of the first things they talked about in theory class was tonics and dominance and subdominance. I said, "Oh my gosh, he was right." Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, but anyway, yeah, he was he was phenomenal. Okay. Um, other than that, you know, all of the family has to do with music. None mm-hmm. of them made it a career. Yeah. Um, but but I, I would say that my family, especially the extended family, they're all fairly musically gifted. Yeah. So. That's cool. And so you mentioned you. You ended up going to Delta State. So when, at what point did you make the decision that you wanted to keep going besides just something that you, you did in high school as a hobby to, to, to pursue it even further? Um, I guess in high school. Okay. Uh, you know, we I got to go to clinics with band. Um, what would you play in the band? Yeah, trombone. Okay. Surprisingly enough, that was my degree. I, I, I okay. never hardly even play it anymore. But um, uh, I went to these clinics at, at Delta State, at Mississippi State, Ole Miss, all these. They all offered scholarship, and that's the – you know, that's the – thing that I saw, my parents really saw it. They loved, you know, these scholarship offers. And Delta State offered to pay pretty much for the entire degree. Mm. Uh, I think I owed, you know, four or $500 a semester wow. um, for the entire time I was there between band and choir scholarships. So uh, that was kind of, I, I, I was going to be a band director. That okay. Was, that was that was my intention, and I did that for five years. It just, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't pan out. That wasn't God's intention for me. But yeah. But I, I knew by the time I really got into ninth grade that it was going to be something to do with music. I wasn't okay. good, at, good at anything else. So <laughs> that, that was it. That was my drive. That was my passion. <laughs> That's cool. Um, well, I'm going to come back to you, okay. but I want to swap over to Doug here. So in contrast to Tim, who grew up here in Vicksburg, we have <laughs> Doug, who grew up not in Vicksburg. A few miles away. A few, just, just up the road. So in. I, I was born in Laurel. <laughs> okay. So... I'm a Mississippi boy by birth, and we lived in Macomb. Mm-hmm. Goche, and then while we were in Goche, and this is in the <laughs> mid-'70s, and I was very young, four years old, my parents felt a call to, um, at, at that point, we, at the time, we called it foreign missions, okay. um, not international missions. And so they were appointed as, as uh, missionaries by the Foreign Mission Board, now the International Mission Board. Right. Uh, and so uh, at seven... Um, we moved to Malawi uh, in Southeast Africa. So, I, yeah, I, I know I sound like a Mississippi boy now, but I actually grew up, I actually grew up very British. Um, okay. All of my elementary years, once we, I was still in first grade when we got to Malawi and uh, all through the sixth grade and even my seventh grade year before we came back to the States, uh, I talked like this. I was quite a little young British chap. And I'm here to tell you, when we came back to the States and I was in the fourth grade, I stuck up like a sore thumb. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> I we went back from that was a six month uh, furlough and even that if you're familiar with missions now uh, they call those stateside assignments not furloughs but okay. uh, I was home for furlough I'm dating myself when President Reagan was elected <laughs> that was <coughs> 1980 that's when we were home for that furlough we went yeah. back to the mission field in Malawi and. I said, uh, I'm going to be American when we go home again, <laughs> which <coughs> was supposed to be in four years. Uh-huh. So I, I finished fifth grade, sixth grade, and for the British, that's standard five and standard six. Mm. And, uh, and then at 12, I made this decision uh, that I really wanted to go to boarding school. It was a missionary boarding school, uh, an American missionary boarding school in Nairobi, Kenya. Okay. And uh, I was 12, and yes, that almost killed my mother mm. and my father, uh, flying 1,300 miles off, I think it was, uh, from Malawi to Kenya for 
uh, 13 weeks at a time on trimesters. Wow. And um, now people always say at the end of their life, there's nothing I would change. I have no regrets. I do actually regret that. Mm. <laughs> uh, I don't, if anybody, any 12 year old is out there listening, I do not recommend <laughs> moving away from home at 12 to boarding school. But we came back to the States that, um, that at the end of that year, my mom was real sick at that time. So in 1984, we came back and we lived in Jackson. Okay. So I actually really considered Jackson my home. Okay. Um, I did almost all of my high school. My dad was in the ministry mm-hmm. when we came home from the field, and uh, we moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, Christmas of my senior year. Mm. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, but God had a plan. So I came right back to Mississippi College, Mm -hmm. spent the four years there. Uh, My wife and I met at MC, and we married, went to Fort Worth for seminary Mm -hmm. at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and eventually moved back to the Jackson area again. I served in Florence, actually, where Tim has served, just different church at a different time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I served there for six years. I think you were at your church for six years, right? So, yeah, I was there for six years at Briar Hill Baptist, uh, moved out of state, moved to Tupelo for 10 years, and then back to Vicksburg, and here we are here. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the first morning, my wife and I woke up and looked at each other and said, well, this is so strange. We've spent so much time in the Jackson area, but we don't know anything about Vicksburg. We know everything east of here. So we've been here five years. So that's, in uh, in a nutshell, that's kind of my growing up story. But, I, you know, you're asking Tim about music. So I, I always loved singing. Mm-hmm. Um, my I wouldn't say my family was a musical family, and my parents liked to sing, but in the congregation, not in choirs or anything that I'm aware of. And uh, my sister liked to sing. I liked to write poetry early on, mm-hmm. and that came into play mm-hmm. um, later. I wrote a lot, and I think that was part of the British upbringing. They, mm-hmm. they focused a lot on creative writing. And I, every once in a while, I'll discover some notebook or something from when I was really young mm-hmm. that I was writing poetry and poems. Um, and so I, I, when we came, we were back this side, uh, you know, state side. And at 15, I really felt like God was calling me to ministry. Okay. Um, at the time, I, I felt like God was probably calling me to the pastorate to, to preach. Right. Uh, but I really did know in my heart, um, I was a musician. <laughs> I really was. I loved to sing. Uh, I played clarinet in the high school band. I was the drum major. Uh, and, you know, so I, I was a passionate musician. Now, I will say, <laughs> you mentioned Tim uh, Theory. <laughs> yeah, that nearly did me in. Um, <laughs> I, can, I can remember my worship professor now at Mississippi College saying, listen, if God called you this, you're just going to have to tie a ro- knot on the end of the rope and hang on. And I was just saying, Lord, if you called me to music ministry, you're going to have to get me through. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's how I ended up in music ministry, wow. answering the call. Okay, that's really cool. Did you um, did you ever take piano lessons? I know you play piano a little bit now. Is it something you just picked up so, over the years? Or? All right, so I... <laughs> Don't even want to talk. Yeah, that's a labored response. That oh, is a regret. That's a great regret too. <laughs> so uh, I I took piano as a young child, mm-hmm. um, first, second, third grade. You know, really young. Right. And then I, it seems to me now I'm you know I'm in my. I'm 51, almost 52. So that was a long time ago. (laughs) I don't remember taking all through elementary school. I know I took early on. Uh, And then I took the year I was in boarding school, actually. And there's so many things I just don't know why I didn't do or know about. I guess I just didn't know about things when we Mm -hmm. went back to the States. The British system was so different from the American system. And I look back and think, how come I didn't run track and field? I I ran cross country when I was overseas, but Mm -hmm. I just didn't know about it. And Mm -hmm. why didn't I, you know, and I never, I didn't take piano again um, Mm -hmm. when we moved back 
back to the States. I don't know why I didn't do that. So until I got to college, which was a requirement for my major, mm-hmm. and <coughs> I just wasn't passionate about it. It took yeah. me a long time to figure out that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And I still see my, my old piano teacher mm-hmm. <laughs> occasionally, Miss Miss uh, Taylor, uh, MC, and I, I'll say, yeah, all those times that I was just struggling and saying, I just mm-hmm. don't know why I can't get this. Mm-hmm. And, and you're thinking, duh, you're in practice, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but but I, feel, I feel vindicated because I actually have a daughter who is a junior now at MC, and piano is her applied. Uh-huh. So uh, there, there, there's something good. It was of. in the genes somewhere. It was in the genes. But, yeah. so, but what I was going to say was I was in the practice room with a friend who was a music major but applied piano, mm-hmm. and he was phenomenal. I mean, he just was one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Ugh, maybe sick. And I said, Tim. When you were in the first and second grade and and you wanted to quit, did your parents make you stay? And he said, no. He looked at me funny. He said, I never wanted to quit. And and the light bulb went off, and I said, that's And I've known all these years. I said, that's the difference. Mm -hmm. I never had the passion. So, yeah, I can court around, and I can court enough to play. And God had to actually uh, show me that because that took me a long time Mm -hmm. before I ever got to songwriting in my Mm -hmm. life. That was the thing that was holding me back. I was like, well, I can't play piano, so I just I can't do it. Mm -hmm. That's part of the story. That's interesting. Well, it's funny because— you know what you're saying about it, it, it and you said took piano but it didn't click with you till you got the guitar in your hands mm-hmm. it's different instruments or different aspects of it whether it's singing or songwriting it's like when it clicks and i've, I've actually told people you know parents before because doug knows that you know i teach guitar and i said you know if you're having to make your kid practice it's probably not the right instrument for them right you know there might be an there might be a different instrument that they just immediately click with um, and that was that's funny too about guitar. I'm also vindicated because uh, you teach my youngest daughter, <laughs> and she's very adept. Uh-huh. Uh, I it's not been for a lack of wanting. I have wanted to be able to play the guitar, and I've tried several times at different seasons of my life in ministry, and I can't get the bloomed chords. Yeah. I just I can't. I'm, uh, uh, I just can't do it. I yeah. I have tried and tried, and uh, so I do feel vindicated there too because yeah. you teach my youngest daughter, and I knew the first time she picked one up I was like oh my word <laughs> but I will say that all children are different because I have two that are polar opposites yeah. I, my youngest Andy he's seven uh, he got an app on his phone that, that you know he could play Furalise mm-hmm. on just yeah. the lead line and and he went over to the piano and just figured it out right. he, he's driven he wanted to be able uh-huh. to learn now my oldest who's 13 Paisley she started band um, I guess it was 6th grade no 7th grade um, and, and she played the flute and it was it was like pulling teeth mm-hmm. she, she didn't want to do it she couldn't do it i think what it was is she had gotten up to something she couldn't do mm-hmm. and she got scared she wouldn't succeed so she kind of withdrew mm-hmm. but we we made her in, you know stay with it now she's fixing to go in ninth grade she's really good yeah um so it you know some kids you just you you kind of have to poke at them a little yeah, bit sure. oh definitely yeah for sure well and my middle one's a violinist and i can't leave her out because she thinks she's forgotten anyway but she's not but it reminded me of sarah Catherine when you said that because she's yeah. been always been that way she can abby could be sitting at the piano practicing something mm-hmm. and then Sir Catherine over there just pick it out mm-hmm. and so just that ear but when she picked up violin she was real adept at that now I have refused to let her quit that instrument as she's she's gotten right. to college now and through the years I'm like you're not going to yes. stop because God has gifted you with a wonderful ear and who plays and, violin there's yeah. not very many and I'm like you're going to make money doing this yeah. so every time she plays for a wedding now I'm like see mm-hmm. I realize you I realize you're going to be standing at my grave one day 
day, and maybe you'll say you were right, Dad, but maybe you won't. But <laughs> that's funny. Um, so Tim, you so you mentioned some time as as a band director, and then you felt like you got called into the ministry. Talk about that a little bit because. I, I think it's interesting, and as you know, uh, I was just telling you beforehand, I've talked to a lot of musicians for this show, and of course, just talked to a lot of musicians in life. And I know that being a musician in some ways, just in and of itself, is almost like a calling for people. Hmm. And then I feel like a music minister, you guys are almost like a double calling, right? You're called to be a minister, but obviously, you also have just this drive to be a musician. Tell me about when you kind of those two things kind of came together and how you, you got to that point. Well, a little, a little bit of backstory, not a lot of backstory, but uh, when I was in college at Delta State, um, a friend of mine knew that there was a vacancy at a church called Yale Street Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Um, a small church, older congregation. Uh, they just needed someone to pick out the music and to get up there and lead it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had never done that kind of thing. Of course, grew up in church. You know, I, I uh, accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was really young. So mm-hmm. I, I was I was familiar with church and what they did, but I went to this church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a little side money while I was in college. It was very little side money, mm-hmm. but it was some, and, and I did it there, and then I graduated, and then I found another church that needed an interim, and then another one needed a part-time, and then this one. So I had ser- served, I guess, about seven, eight churches. Wow. Um, while I was a band director, and, and it never really seemed as more than just a part-time thing. Mm-hmm. But my last year as a band director was uh, I was teaching at South Delta High School in Rolling Fork. Okay. Uh, I was a band director. I was also, funny enough, a Spanish teacher. I had only taken two years of Spanish in, in uh, high school and one semester in junior high, but they said, you can teach Spanish. I said, oh, okay. So uh, I taught Spanish, and I was a band director. My wife uh, was there. She taught uh, Gifted, um, and she was an assistant band director. While I was there, Woodlawn needed someone to to fill in as an interim as they searched for their next full-time person. Mm -hmm. So I served there for six months, and while I was there, God began to show me the differences between my career as band director Mm -hmm. and what my career could be as a minister of music. I mean, the people at the church loved me, and I loved them, and I cared about them. And then I th- I look back at, the, at being the band director at South Delta. Those kids hated me. Like, I mean, there was a difference. You know, I didn't have that I didn't have that drive at South Delta the way that I did in the church. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of talked to the pastor, uh, Kent Campbell, who's still there now, I'm serving mm-hmm. with right now. And, and you know, I, I shared with him that it felt different. And he said, well, I mean, if you feel like this is what you're supposed to do, here's how you do it. You just surrender to ministry. You make it public, mm-hmm. you know, and then we'll go from there. That's, that's kind of the end of the story. I surrendered to ministry, and uh, I quit that teaching job at the end of the year. I finished my contract, but then they hired me full-time at Woodlawn Wow! as soon as my contract ended. So it was a pretty smooth transition okay. uh, into ministry. And like I said, you know, I served there for four and a half years, went to Florence for six and a half years, and now I'm back. Back at Woodlawn. Yeah. Right. That's, that's cool. So, Doug, did you always know that the music and the ministry was going to be connected for you? You said you, you felt the call to ministry first. I did. And the music part of it, how, what, what sort of made you switch to, okay, I understand that the music is going to be part of this. So I, well, I, I, so I was 15, you know, I was at that age, you know, I like to sing all the time. My friends were always saying, oh, stop singing. Be quiet, you know. So I had a complex anyway yeah. <laughs> about being, you know, the musician guy. Yeah. And um, but yeah, once 
once I really, you know, prayed that through and I said, I, I know, God, I know you're calling me to music ministry. It's, I've always said it's kind of, it's sort of a Moses story. I really did the, I can't, I just, I can't sing. I can't play the piano. I can't play the guitar. It was all about I can't. And mm-hmm. and for me, really, it was it was that Holy Spirit whisper of, I'm not interested in what mm-hmm. you can do. Right. I'm interested in what I can do through you. And yeah. and once, once the Lord opened my eyes to that, that it wasn't a really about, my dad always said as a missionary, it's not, God's not interested as much in your abilities as your availability. Mm-hmm. And that was yes. the point of surrender for me of just saying, okay, God, so you're calling me to this. It's not about what I can do. It's what you can do through me. And honestly, that is, I, we, we just about <laughs> music theory <laughs> 101 and mm-hmm. form an analysis and all that. Ooh, and yeah. I was one of those mm-hmm. typical uh, folks that came in that just loved to sing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had a little bit of piano background, but not much. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I was, even, you know, like I said, I was even the drum major in the band. So I, I had music reading abilities and all, but it nearly killed me. Um, mm-hmm. So, and I saw so I wasn't one of those that came, you know, dancing and I love to sing and they were gone by the third week of the semester. Mm-hmm. You know, they dropped yeah. out. So, but, but, and it, on, it was really because it was very difficult for me, mm-hmm. but it was because I really knew, I knew God was calling me yeah. to it. And how much do you use that theory course stuff now? <laughs> Probably not as much as Tim does. I was fixing to say, if you're asking me, every day. Really? Every day, okay. all the time. Yeah. I, I'll, I do with, you know, chord progressions. Yeah. If I'm sitting at the piano and kind of playing around, I'm thinking, well, it might be kind of, but I, I'm really not. I'm really not. I, I'll play around uh, and find a chord I kind of like, and then I have to analyze it and say, what is that? Why does that sound so what good? What is that chord? That sounds so good. You know, Tim's it? like, I'm going to put a subdominant here. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> I don't actually call them subdominance most of the time. <laughs> what do you call them? I call them by the name. Oh, okay. And G flat major nine. You know, I, yeah. I call it something like that. Yeah. Okay. It is funny because you know the sort of the two schools of thought. I mean, like you look back at some of the Beatles songs and the chord progressions that they did. They they used the heck out of subdominance. They probably didn't know that's what it was called. I mean, no. maybe they did, but I think they just knew it sounded good. And they, well, and, you know, and I think, and that's one thing, you know. I know we're going to talk about this group that we're both in, but um, it's trying, it's helping push me a little bit out of a comfort zone because uh, I'll have people here at the church or my parents will or somebody will say if I sing something I haven't told anybody that I wrote it and they'll say I thought that was something you wrote Mm -hmm. and in my mind at least it means it has a certain sound Mm -hmm. and so I'm thinking well I don't want everything to sound I want everything I write to be identifiable um, as mine, but you know, you know, Chris, you you play, <laughs> but to <laughs> so an extent, so, it's a compliment. That yeah, I think it's not a bad style. thing. I think it's not a bad thing so, to have. Your but own. I'll think, you know, I'll yeah. write something new and think, eh, it's the same sort of chord progression I used last time. Yeah. And uh, our organist, my associate here, uh, Austin Crabtree, will say, "You love that B flat over C chord." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> look, look let's be honest. You know, there's about four or five chord progressions that this anything else, and you're just showing off. I this mean, if you true. can't write a good That's song. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> no. Especially in contemporary Christian music. This is true. Uh, yes. I, I, uh, both of my kids are learning. My, my daughter is learning bass and guitar and piano. She kind of can't make up her mind. And my son is learning, plays the drums and is learning guitar. And so, you know, I'll kind of teach them, okay, well, you can do this, you know, A minor, F, C, G thing. You know, this is in a bunch of songs. Well, how many songs? I don't know, thousands? I mean, all of them. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that, that's funny. Um, so, since you kind of brought the, up the songwriting thing, 
So let's talk about, first off, let me, let me go back to Tim and just ask, when did you get into writing your own songs? Have you always done that, or is this uh, something new? And, and, and tell me about the arranging of songs, too. Okay, well, um, I, guess, I guess I got into writing songs when I was probably, the very first one I ever wrote, I think I was nine. Okay. Um, it was just, there was a songwriting contest from Mississippi, and my piano teacher um, knew about it and said, hey, you know, just go home and get a little, back then, a little cassette tape recorder. Mm-hmm. Just, just record yourself playing something that you make up. I'll help you with notating and all that kind of stuff. So I went home and, and you know, a couple little ditties, put them together and called it a song. She wrote it out, and it actually won fourth place in Mississippi. Oh, wow. um, it was It was a pretty big deal to me, you know. It was just a simple little song i could probably still play it if i tried but well uh, i might just have to get you to do that (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) no keyboard in here good deal good deal Um, but anyway so that that was just a little thing and i didn't really revisit but when i got to junior high i I met a guy i became friends with a guy named james smith he Mm -hmm. he went to my church you know and he he liked writing lyrics he knew nothing about music Mm I knew a little because of piano lessons and picking up the guitar, um, so I would make him little instrumental tracks using demo programs on the computer that we had just bought, you mm-hmm. know, a couple months ago, brand new computer. Anyway, uh, so I kind of played with it there, and I was like, well, if he can write lyrics, I can write lyrics, and, mm-hmm. and I started trying, and I was like, okay, only thing is they got to rhyme. So the songs didn't make any sense, <laughs> but the ends of the phrases they rhyme. Yeah. Okay. Well. And then and I put them to a little track, and anyway, that's that's where I started, mm-hmm. and then uh, it was secular stuff. I didn't really start writing exclusively Christian music um, until I was probably mid twenties, mm-hmm. um, getting ready to go into ministry or maybe I had just started ministry and, and I started with exclusively Christian music, mm-hmm. Christian lyrics, which of course involved a lot more diving into God's word. Mm-hmm. Knowing what um uh, knowing some different things to talk about, you know, yeah. because I wrote secular music. I was familiar with what I had heard, you know, love and, mm-hmm. and broken hearts and all that kind of thing. That, that's what I could write about because I was familiar with it mm-hmm. from TV and everything. So to write Christian music, I had to immerse myself a little bit more into God's Word mm-hmm. and know what it said so that I could write about it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's that. Now, the arranging part... Um, that goes back to Delta State, you know, orchestration, that class that everybody has to take to get a music degree. Yeah. I excelled in that. I loved it. Okay. Um, now, I did not like the rules. Yeah. Um, rules are meant to be broken after <laughs> yeah. you learn them. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I started with just easy things. Like, I, I'll arrange something for piano and trombone because I yeah. play both of those instruments. Okay. And I said, well, it'd be really cool if it was like three trombones. <laughs> um, oh, well, maybe we could add this in. So brass was kind of where I started. But then I was like, you know, at some point this this got old. And mm-hmm. I said, well, I'll add some woodwinds. Okay. Um, now, at my last church at uh, First Florence, um, they were blessed to be able to hire out an orchestra mm-hmm. um, at, at Christmas time for Spirit of Christmas. Uh, I had never really arranged for an orchestra that would actually play my work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started real easy. Um, I did Sweet Little Jesus Boy, which I think Doug <laughs> did this past Sunday. We did. Um, I'm going to do it Christmas Day again. All right. I arranged that for a quartet and choir and just five string players. Yeah. And whenever they played it, I was like, that's exactly what I heard in my head. You know, I don't know why it hit me so hard, but I was like, wow, I can do this. I can arrange. Mm-hmm. So the next year, I took on a full-blown arrangement, uh, orchestra arrangement um, of Oh Holy Night. Mm-hmm. Kind of trans-Siberian orchestra sound. You yeah. know, I had a really good electric guitar player um, that played some licks. But whenever they played that, I said, wow, I could really do this. Mm. Um, I could arrange for an entire orchestra. 
And um, anyway, right now I, I'm still in the process of finishing it, but I'm doing a project called Hymn Reset, mm -hmm. uh, fully orchestrated um, for a choir. It's okay. basically just the old hymns, same melody, but a different take on them, more contemporary yeah. versions, but with full orchestra. And we uh, sang one of those recently. Yeah, uh, Redeemed How I Love to Perform. That was yeah. one of my, yeah. um, it's just eight songs, but um, I, I just, I've got to record demo vocals so I can put it out to the world mm -hmm. for them to do. But uh, anyway, so that's. I, I like to arrange, but I think I like to write more. Okay. You know, if I had to go between the two. Okay. Uh, arranging is easier because the stuff is already written. I just have to make it, you know, different, interesting. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. Cool. So, so Doug, tell me about your songwriting and when you started getting serious about doing that. Right. So I mentioned, you know, earlier. So growing up, I liked to write poetry, words, mm -hmm. creative writing, and so I. I, I think that really was the foray for me into songwriting, but mm -hmm. it took me a while to get there to realize, oh, I could write lyrics. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, it, I laugh about it, but it is true, uh, getting a music degree mm -hmm. <laughs> was, was hard for me, it really was. Um, and so I, I was, uh, I wasn't an incompetent musician, but I was an inferior, inferiority complex musician, and there was just so much. And I think, you know, that still even goes back to my calling mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> of trying to surrender and say, it's okay, God, I mean, you've, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll use where you've gifted me. Right. And so, I mean, I went on to seminary and got my master's in music as well and but I was into my uh, I mean I can remember as a child like laying in the back seat probably didn't have seatbelt laws back then <laughs> the early 80s in, in Africa but I, I can remember laying on the back seat of the the van that my parents drove and like making up a song it seems like I still even remember it was like maker of the stars or mm. master of the something like that I so I did that a lot growing I was always singing songs and making up songs mm -hmm. to myself but as far as writing for my church I was I was in my first full-time church um, in 96 um, in Bay City, Texas, actually, First Baptist Bay City, uh, before I actually ever wrote anything for mm -hmm. the choir. And I think what I did, I think I wrote like a choral ending of something. Yeah. <laughs> and then... You know, back there, it was back then it wasn't praise and worship songs; it was choruses. You know, you had hymns and choruses, and I wrote a couple of choruses. And I was this was mid '90s, so I was the guy that you know that had been brought in and called to transition the church, you know, um, into a more balanced, blended approach. They're shaking his head. I, I'm going to talk. You never want to be the transition. You know, guy. I'm always <laughs> been the transition guy. That's been my calling uh, until this church. Yeah. Uh, so. So, but that was it, and I, I still remember it, and we've done it here. I, I pulled out, I ran across the first little anthem. Uh, I wrote a little choral anthem, uh, Prayer of Gethsemane, mm -hmm. for my choir to use in the Easter season. And, um, and I tell you what did it, what finally did it was Finale. When I discovered Finale songwriting software, and I finally realized, oh, I, it, it clicked. I don't have to be... Tim Moak or Tommy Creel, one of those pianists extraordinaires, yeah. I can actually click the notes in. And, and, and when he says finale, he means Sibelius. That's what he means. Yeah. <laughs> That's Tim's song. Yeah, okay. So, uh, and, and my, um, my assistant, 
was actually the organist. Okay. And so she was able to help me kind of, you know, just doing a simple, appreciated piano part. And, all, cause I, and even to this day, I'll say that's why I get Tim to arrange everything for me because I'm like, I just can't write the piano part. I just don't. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> that's really where it started for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't get really serious about writing, really writing more until I found a writing partner. Mm-hmm. And that was when I lived in Tupelo. So about 2009, mm-hmm. I, I went a good stretch there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did write a little bit on my own. I had I wrote uh, a song the choir sang when I was serving in West Memphis, Arkansas, uh, for our pastor's tenth anniversary. Mm-hmm. You know, so I did some. Mm-hmm. I did some, but I would mostly do little choral tags and things like that. But when I when I first found a, a writing partner, um, I. All of a sudden, and the thing was, he was the pianist. Mm-hmm. And when I called him, he was another music minister in town, and I said, would you be interested in writing together? And and he said, yeah, I would. And I, I had been at a conference and, <coughs> and heard a, a couple of guys saying, you need to pray the Lord gives you a writing partner to the whole this whole class. And... I had just met this music minister. I had just moved into town, and and I said, I'm I'm just not. A, I'm a lyricist. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really my strength. And he said, Dude, I'm not a lyricist. I'm a pianist. Mm-hmm. And it was like a marriage made in heaven, as far as songwriting was concerned. And so we wrote together for about a year or two, mm-hmm. a couple of years, and then he moved out of state. Mm-hmm. And so then I, I went back into that shell again of like I just can't write without somebody else's help. Uh, and then when I mo- was here. Um, in, in Vicksburg, I, I met an older gentleman in town and <clears throat> just got to talking, and he said, do you write? And I said, well, I, I have before. And so he actually came to the church. He said, I'd love to hear some things that you wrote. So I put on a track and just sang, you know, live for him. And he said, oh, my word. Mm-hmm. Have you ever have you ever tried to sell that? Or, and I was like, no, I wouldn't have a clue. And so, you know, but he encouraged me. He said, you're a good writer. He said, he said, I would say like this song, it's complete from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, wow. And so I was getting ready to go on vacation. I said, well, you've, you've really inspired me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a, a, no, a blank notebook with me and I'm going to write some lyrics and come back. And so I did start doing that. Mm-hmm. And that really is the transition into how Tim and I met. Um, tell really, me about that. Let me tell it. So, of course, you know, we all went through this small little thing called a pandemic mm. and COVID. And yeah, I don't remember that. Tell me about it. What was <coughs> <Yeah>. that again? <laughs> How much time is this podcast? Yeah, we were at a restaurant with my crazy brother-in-law and his family and my family uh, sometime early on in the pandemic. And the sweet little waitress said, it was here, I think it was here in Fixburg. And, and the sweet little waitress said, oh, no, sir, that's not on the menu anymore since the virus. And he went deadpanned. Mm. And the look on that woman's <laughs> face. <laughs> and then he started oh, wow. to bust out No, so, you know, uh, for the first time in all of history, I think, every music minister in America was in the exact same boat. Mm. I mean, we yeah. all were. Our choirs were just decimated. All of a sudden, we had hardly anybody in the choir. If we had a choir or a praise team, worship team. Um, um, and, and no congregation there for a while. And no congregation. Everybody was I've said we thing. worshiped every which away here. Yeah, we did. <laughs> which is why we're sitting in this makeshift studio that we put together at that time. So, And that's the very reason the Lord allowed, how he allowed me to meet Tim. Um, I had heard through our state music director, um, um, Slater Murphy, 
that uh, if any of us needed help with, he was getting a lot of questions about virtual choirs. And he said, <coughs> Tim Goodson's an expert in this field. If you need any help, give him a call. He's a first Baptist Florence. So I called Tim. I still remember I was sitting in the glider in our living room when I called Tim and we just, we, we clicked real quick, but we got to talking about it. And he was saying, yeah, man, he said, I'm really more of the audio guy than the video. And then after we talked, I talked to another friend of mine and he said, well, you don't really have to, because I was going to get the, um, what's our software, the Logic. Logic Pro. Mm-hmm. And I did. I bought the Logic Pro, and then another friend of mine to, from my previous church, I had done so much <clears throat> media uh, in our studio there uh, with Premiere Pro, mm-hmm. and he said, you already know how to do this. You, you already know how to shoot the video and capture the audio, mm-hmm. and so just do that. So I went ahead and went with what I was familiar with, but that's how Tim and I met, was talking about the virtual choir mm-hmm. um, stuff, and I was having to, I was bringing, at first I had choir members send me, you know, just on their phone from home I would I would get them all uh, ready to practice and what they needed to practice at home and then eventually I would have choir members come here one by one to mm-hmm. the studio and it got bigger and bigger I started with the trio then I went to eight then I went to like 19 and then I went to the executive committee chairman at our church and said I have to have a bigger computer my computer cannot handle all these video files at one time but that's how Tim and I actually met and then I don't know how we how did we start writing together um, you were involved with uh, 12, the song 12 Song Challenge. challenge. And, and that was, that was the challenge, a co-write, I think. <coughs> right. So, yeah, about three th- – three. I always say three things happened because uh, my church has laughed and said, we didn't know you were so prolific as a writer. And I've laughed and said, I wasn't prolific as a writer until <laughs> – God let me meet this this man in town mm-hmm. uh, who just encouraged me mm-hmm. to write. <coughs> God introduced me to Tim Goodson, which I'm very grateful for uh, because we've gotten to partner together on some things. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then thirdly, um, what is the third thing? I always say there's three things. Songwriting challenge. Oh, then the challenge. Yes, yeah. of course. That's where we're going. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a creative music guy, so we get off track easily. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so another friend of of Tim and mine, Hunter Lynch, is another co-music minister in town, and he is at Highland Baptist Church, and uh, Hunter contacted me and said, would you be interested in writing together? So that was the third thing that just came out of nowhere, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it all happened really close together, and I said, sure, and he said, well, I want you to, he sent me a link, he said, I'm in this 12-song challenge group, I'd love for you to look at it and consider maybe you want to be a part. So uh, they were just getting ready to start a 12-month challenge, and so the challenge is, uh, and it's a group based out of the UK, and so I didn't know that actually when I first, well, I guess I did because they had to convert the pounds to dollars to pay, mm-hmm. but but I didn't realize it, it's been a kick for me because I grew up so British. So mm-hmm. it's really been a kick to <laughs> make friends yeah. with these. But it, uh, that's been part of it, but also to make friends with uh, music men and women who are leading worship in their churches on the other side yeah. of the pond. That has been really, really cool. And our theme this month is the global church, and it yeah. kind of fits with that. But <laughs> um, so what they do in 12 Song Challenges, at the first of the month, they'll give us a theme. And so we write a song for our congregation based around that theme. Mm -hmm. And so the very first month, this is how we got hooked up, Tim, it is. Because the very first month that I was in it was April. And the theme was um, Pentecost Mm -hmm. um, because the Pentecost was going to be, you know, 40 days later in May. And so um, I wrote a song called Holy Spirit Come. Mm -hmm. And then I called 
him and we just were going to get together I think and I went out there and he was going to help me record the demo and we did we recorded mm-hmm. a demo for Holy Spirit Come I think you put the track together yeah I did too. I he, had it ready he to go put the track together there. and mm-hmm. it's really funny because uh, we're now you know a year and a half out from that and that that song I have people in our church our church sings it fairly mm-hmm. regularly and I have people that say that's my favorite thing that you've written mm-hmm. they love that mm-hmm. song but that's how Tim and I started writing together and then within a month or two one of the challenges was to collaborate mm-hmm. and that was that was how we ended up collaborating more than just him arranging something I had written and um, which song was that and that was everything, everything to me that's the one you sang the demo of yes yes, yes. Tim sings the demo yeah. he's phenomenal yeah. I, think <laughs> I just want Tim to demo everything I write oh. I don't <laughs> I, think we're I can't stay to well enough to make my own vocal <laughs> yeah. demos anyway. But, yeah, we did everything to me. So, yeah. And the collab on that was I wrote the lyric. And it really, it, this completely goes back now to talking about just using the strength that God has given mm-hmm. us. Because my strength is writing lyrics and writing a melody. And I can, I can flesh out, you know, mm-hmm. quarterly what I want progressions to be and sound like. But I wrote that lyric, and Tim said, why, why don't you write a lyric and let me take a stab at, at, write, at setting it? Mm. And I said, okay. So we really did. We, what, we didn't really write words together. You made an adjustment or mm-hmm. two. And, then and you made an adjustment on the music. On the other side. So there was a little bit of that, but it wasn't really like a songwriting session. We sat down yeah. and wrote the lyrics together. And wrote the, it was kind it of really just was, like tag, you're it, tag, you're it. Yeah. Just kind of back and forth. Exactly. And, and that song, too, mm-hmm. is uh, – so interestingly enough – um, those are the two. If I can ever get everything they need, um, discoverworship.com is, yeah. uh, is a place um, in, online that a lot of music ministers will turn to. They're based in Nashville. Uh, Reggie Stone uh, directs that that company. He owns that company. And those are the two songs that they want to pick up and, wow. and license from us. Um, this next year to roll out in January. So it's really been a neat progression for me, especially <laughs> I'm sitting here opposite of Tim. I, I've just felt so inadequate mm-hmm. to be able to write with, uh, I, I just did. I just it was just like, I just don't have enough talent to do this or I don't have giftedness. Yeah. And so it's been cool to, you know, to take the strengths you have mm-hmm. and pair up with somebody else. And uh, my choir kind of laughs because we have done enough arrangements by Tim Goodson that <laughs> I'll say, <laughs> we okay, recognize y'all, that name so this is, yeah. this is a song I wrote last month. Now, Tim has done the arrangement, and my wife was the one that night said, you talk about Tim like he's on staff here. And I said, well, he basically is. He's, he's our arranger for first <laughs> And on that 12th song, so Tim sort of followed along all last mm-hmm. year, that first session mm-hmm. um, from the April – through you know the twelve months, and he every month he'd say, "What was the new challenge?" Because this is helping me have mm-hmm. something to kind of. And so, and but, I actually wrote a few songs <laughs> based on the, when I wasn't even a member of the group. Right, um, he did, and so, and then that year, and then several times he arranged things that I wrote that year, mm-hmm. and I know uh, I went back and tried to kind of count it up, but I I think in all out of that twelve months, nine of those songs through that first song twelve song challenge I was a part of. Um, we used in church. Either I did as a solo or somebody mm-hmm. else did as a solo or a group or the choir um, or the congregation, just yeah. just straight congregation songs. So anyway, and then they took about, what, about a six-month break or something like that. Something like that. And, then, started, and just started the challenge back up. So Tim and I are both, and Hunter Lynch, we're all in 12-song right. challenge right. Uh, this go-round. And I'm going to have to talk to um, – Joel Payne about that. He's the head of that. Because this starting it up in the fall is killing me because <laughs> mm-hmm. I haven't had time. It to was write. my first experience, so it didn't bother me. Really. I was like, okay, let's go. Let's yeah. go. You know, yeah. I didn't, they they could have started. I got Christmas that first day, month you know, 
sitting, and then Tim's like, "Hey, you coming on this next one?" I was like, "Man, I haven't had any time." And then, the, and then now we're in the third month. How are you yeah. coming on this? Oh, I have an idea, but I haven't had any time, so I've got to go back in January and February and mm-hmm. and go back and write uh, November and December songs. Yeah. So, Tim, you're doing the twelve month challenge now. Yeah. Doug's already said, as a songwriter, he kind of starts from the lyrics. How do you approach it when you're writing a new song? Yes. <laughs> it's, di- it's, it's different every time. Yeah, it's different. Now, most of the time, I will start with lyrics. I want to make sure that the content is rich, and I want to make sure that they rhyme. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I get that down, and, and a lot of people on the 12 Song Challenge forum, they don't care for that. They, they want you to upload... Um, um, you know, something you recorded with your voice memo on your phone mm-hmm. that's you playing an instrument and singing, and they don't want to see sheet music. They don't want to see They just want that. Mm-hmm. That's not everybody's process. Mm-hmm. Um, I put my lyrics up as a PDF first. Mm-hmm. I want them to scan the lyrics, see mm-hmm. if they believe that there's content that they can mm-hmm. um, that they can contribute to, that they can criticize, anything that that will help strengthen that material. Mm-hmm. And then once I've, I've given them a week or so, and um, I, I've, I get a little feedback, not a lot, I'll just kind of assume, oh, well, that's... It's good, you know, and then I'll take it from there, and I may record a phone version, but usually from there I start developing the melody, and once I've gotten that developed, Mm -hmm. I start making a track. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that I hear, I record it, and then I I put the full-blown thing up. Now, the first month I went straight from lyrics to the full-blown, and they didn't care for that too much (laughs) because they were like, well, this sounds like it's already finished. You don't want my feedback. Well, no, Mm -hmm. I did did want your feedback on the lyrics, Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, I felt pretty confident that this is what I wanted it to sound like. The first first couple times I read my lyrics, Mm -hmm. I can already hear what I want it to sound like. Right. Maybe the melody is not 100% defined. Yeah. Maybe I don't know where I want harmony, where I want it just strictly unison. Maybe I don't know that yet, but I know what it's going to sound like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but anyway, the the process is usually lyric, mm-hmm. then music. A couple of times I've had writer's block in the mm-hmm. past. Mm-hmm. And to kind of jumpstart that, I'll make a track. Mm-hmm. Um, um, anyway, actually, there was a song that I wrote about a year ago. <laughs> entitled Jezebel, and it's based on the biblical characters about Jezebel and, and her downfall, uh, the kind of person she was. Well, to start that, I was just, you know, in drop D uh, with this cool little acoustic blues riff, and then mm-hmm. I recorded that, and I was like, oh, I'll put some drums with that. Ooh, I'll put some electric with that. This is where some slide guitar would really come in handy. And I picked up a slide and tried to play it, and I was like, okay, this this don't work. Mm. <laughs> like, I can't do this. Uh, anyway, so I made the entire track, and then I was like, man, that just sounds like... That's, that's dirty blues. That's like Jezebel. So I started reading about Jezebel. There you go. And, and I wrote a song, and it's called it's called Jezebel. And I haven't actually recorded the entire thing yet, but um, I did play it at Burgers and Blues when Desi and I were playing a gig out there. I did play it one time. It, mm-hmm. it got some mixed reactions. So, okay. Um, but anyway, so almost always lyric. Sometimes I start with music. Okay. Well, that's cool. I mean, it is it is interesting to how, how people's process works. and that, That's a funny story about because I don't know that I've ever heard a song about Jezebel. Hey. It's not a... Uh, <laughs> then I'll have to finish that so the world can hear it. I, I think it turned out pretty good, you know. Yeah. Jezebel wouldn't like it, but, well. you know, everybody else probably would because she's, she's the bad guy. Yeah. So. There have been more than a few times I've said I'd just like to get inside his head uh, because <laughs> no, what don't. he just described <laughs> as no, a mess don't. in there... Um, it's, it's the same process when um, when he's taking something that, you know, I've got a fully written song. It's all corded. 
melodies there, maybe even parts, and throw it to him. And Tim, the first couple times, especially now, I just know to do this, but the first couple times he said, hey, as much as you can tell me about the way what you hear and mm-hmm. the what it sounds like and what you want, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's amazing. It, it, you know, just to be a creative, to see something come to life yeah. is just, right. if you don't know, then you just don't know, and I'm sorry for you because that's, yeah. that's just, cool that's feeling, a yeah. cool yeah. feeling when something that, you know, and in our um, situation here, that we 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 trust and feel that the Lord has given us, um, and it just and to see it blossom and come to life, it's kind of you've said before, your music is your baby. Oh yeah. You know, which which makes uh, being vulnerable in something like a twelve song challenge group hard a little bit because you got to put yourself out there. This is your baby, and you you're opening it up for somebody to be critical. But now at um, the end of, of the day. One of the best things that I, 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 the thing that I like the most about 12 Song is that, yes, people can weigh in. Mm-hmm. People can critique. People can suggest. But at the end of the day, it's your song. Yeah. Um, you know, there have been some suggestions. I was like, well, wow, I was stupid for not thinking of that first. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And then there have been some that I'm like, okay, you're kind of off base here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, I'm going to say that. thank you to you mm-hmm. and ignore it. Yeah. Um, you know, when. When people start start bringing in theological perspectives, right. I don't agree with that theologically. Well, congratulations. Um, <laughs> Show me I'm gonna the Bible it. where it says that. <laughs> and we've had a couple we've of those, had a couple of those know, discussions, but, but you just kind of you know shrug those yeah. off. There, there have been some um, some things that that people have said about my songs, and I'm like, wow, I never really thought about that. Mm-hmm. You know, putting emphasis. Um, on on a on a word like uh, it right. or the, the or and mm-hmm. conjunctions prepositions those kind of words uh, putting beat emphasis on it mm-hmm. I was like I never really thought about that but yeah my songs Just are a, full of that yeah. and this one particular person I forget her name but she she suggested you know try shifting the line a little so that your stressed beats line up on important words like mm-hmm. the Lord you know mm-hmm. or God mm-hmm. not the not right. it not mm-hmm. is you know mm-hmm. but. It's such uh, a growing words. process. It really is. It uh, is, but but I take that. That was, I think, in um, in October that that comment, comment was made. And I, now I'm paying attention. Yeah. November and then December, I paid attention um, mm-hmm. to that kind of thing. So it, it definitely that, helps you grow. Yeah, because yeah. I, I was thinking about this yesterday. Something that, um, that I learned from there was uh, one of the very – must have been the first few months, and somebody – made the comment, I don't hear enough difference from your verse into the chorus. Mm. It needs a right. lift or something. A lift. A lot of them a lot say, say a lift. lift. And yeah. so that's the kind of thing that I'm more conscious of now. <laughs> yeah. um, the, oh, th- that's right. It's the chorus. I mean, it's not a different song, but it needs to sound different a little bit from the right. verse. So yeah. you know it's the chorus. Yeah. But um, now I've got to give some credit to uh, while you know we're in this interview because so Tim has been a big part of my arranging process, mm-hmm. but I also have a pianist friend mm-hmm. who um, <laughs> and Tim is a pianist as well. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I mentioned Austin Crabtree earlier mm-hmm. is our organist here, and Austin's my associate. Um, so for instance, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we just did uh, we just did the, a Christmas night of worship Wednesday last Wednesday mm-hmm. night, and um, I had had to shift the trio for Sweet Little Jesus boy they didn't feel like they were quite ready to <coughs> this past Sunday <coughs> and they're going to do it again Christmas Day <coughs> and then I had another instrumentalist that pulled out that morning and said I just uh, I just I, I, I don't think I want to do it tonight mm-hmm. and I was like oh 
<laughs> so I texted Austin and I was like, oh, shoot, you know, because this particular service is all the choirs, the children's choirs, the adult mm-hmm. choirs. And then I was trying to highlight some of our instrumentalists and some groups. And I said, I lost two, you know, specials that aren't choir pieces or congregational. And I said, well, and Austin said, well, well, we'll come up with something. And I said, well, you know me, I'll probably just write something. And mm-hmm. he, he takes it back, ha ha. And, he's, and I said, no, I'm serious. I really might. And he mm-hmm. said, no, that's why I'm LOLing. I know you probably will. So we, so he came up that afternoon about, you know, two o'clock and sure enough, I had fleshed out a lyric mm-hmm. uh, and chorded it and given it a melody. And, uh, and so the, this is the part that I can't do. I mean, he can take that chord sheet and just start playing and arpeggiating as if it's a written out piano part mm-hmm. and nobody knows the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Now the uh, I will say you know technology uh, being what it is the um, <laughs> the lyrics in um, <laughs> the lyrics stuck on one screen and uh, my and I I thought we'll I have two choices I can either pretend I'm crying because I'm so moved by the lyrics of this song I can't I can't sing or I could try to figure out how to get back to the chorus if I can figure out where that is mm-hmm. and I thought well the third option is um, I could just stop singing uh, and now Chris did remind me that there is a fourth option you can always start scatting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should have maybe done that. But, uh, yeah, I I, – so, anyway, but – Austin just kept playing until mm-hmm. I came back in. That's, it's been worked I, out the best. I really yeah. bless it. But it, and I guess I keep coming back to this point, but it is really neat that when you can you can take where you, you realize humbly before the Lord where he's gifted you <clears throat> in what place, in what way, and you pair up with somebody else where mm-hmm. God has gifted them to take it even farther, whether it's somebody like Austin Crabtree or Jennifer Tillotson is mm-hmm. phenomenal. She's our pianist here. Or Tim oh, yeah, Goodson. Good. Or Chris Gooden. Chris has done that a time or two as well on some things that uh, the Lord has – given me yeah that's really cool and uh yeah it's neat to hear the the way that the creative the whole creative process comes alive when you do have a partner mm-hmm. to work with and that kind of thing so y'all mentioned you you mentioned it briefly or he, he mentioned that you have said your songs are like your kids and that's another thing i wanted to ask the two of you about because i, I write songs and and the first person that hears my songs is usually my wife katie same and and I, and I should be honest enough to say that needs work. <laughs> well, and, and Katie now has learned to say, to ask before I play her a song, are you looking for constructive feedback on this or not? Which means there is, there, there is constructive feedback. Right. That I can well, give you. because she hears it, <laughs> because I, I've told her, I was like, you know, it gets to a point where like, I feel like I'm really like, I like it. And, and I just, I just need you to tell me that it sounds great. You know, it's like, that's it. I mean, it's beyond the point of me changing anything. Right. And, and so, and she, so she like she understands now. She's like, "So are you still working through this one and making some changes?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I want to hear what you really honest opinion." And then, and then sometimes we're like, "No, I'm, I'm pretty much done." She, she knows that means you know, don't tell me Good my job. Don't, yeah. Yeah, don't tell me my baby's ugly, even yeah. if it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. So so Desi is uh, Desi's my wife, uh-huh. um, and she's also a musician. She mm-hmm. she went to Delta State with me, got a degree just like I did. She's been teaching music for I think 16 years now. Um, she knows music, mm-hmm. and whenever I let her hear something, most of the time she'll say she likes it mm-hmm. or loves it. Now, when she tells me, I've learned, mm-hmm. when she says, well, that was beautiful, that means she really likes it. Mm. Um, there have been times where, where she hasn't really cared for it, but the one thing I can say about her criticisms, they're, they're always fairly specific. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this past month, you know, Global Church, that was the, the theme and the opening line of, of my song, 
um, is some of us worship on padded pews. Mm. And, and, and the whole thing about the song was that I was trying to contrast the comfort of our worship here in America in mm. most places with the lack of comfort in other, you know, the persecuted churches, um, mm. some of the things they go through. So the line was some of us worship on padded pews, some of us worship in underground rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, I don't like padded pews. I just don't like that. Now, I don't really know why she didn't like that. The, like the way it sounded, padded yeah, pews. Padded pews, maybe, yeah. or the fact that I was talking about pews. I, yeah. I don't really know. Maybe pews is a, a funny word, you know? Yeah. Um, I actually got some feedback uh, from the forum about uh, padded pews. Uh, they, they, they like padded seats better. I'm like, but they're not. They're padded pews. Um, but anyway. And, it, and seats doesn't rhyme with rooms. Um, I mean, come on, people. Uh, she, so she's my first that, that yeah. gives me feedback. Of course, Doug, I, I, I'll shoot stuff at him. I think he probably gets tired of me shooting stuff. I, you know, I do it all the time. Um, you know, and my pianist in Florence, a phenomenal pianist. Her name's Wendy South. Um, best pianist I think I've ever uh, worked with anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'll, I'll throw some songs at her and she usually gives me positive feedback. She yeah. never really says anything negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't, I think she's just being kind a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But, um, yes, I do get to a point where I feel like, okay, this is it. This is this is great. I like the way this is. I don't want anybody to change it. And, and if they go telling me my baby's ugly, you know, I don't really care. If, I'll just throw the whole song away, I yeah. guess. You know, I don't want to change it. Um, but, but the 12-song challenge has, has really challenged me to be open to criticism because mm-hmm. I had never really had criticism. Most people, you play a song for them, they're like, oh, that's great. I love it. Mm-hmm. Nobody really says, hey, this is what's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. So the first time a couple people said this is what's wrong with it, I was like, wait, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to me? Like, really? <laughs> Everyone loves my songs. Like, why are you saying it? But, uh, but it's challenged me to be like, okay, so I see okay. what you're saying, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and, and make, the, make the edits where they're needed. right. right. And I just thought of this just now because that's true, that baby aspect. I was having a conversation with somebody this morning. I have three daughters who are now 11, 18, and 20. And we were just talking about watching our children grow up. And it just occurs to me that that analogy actually continues because with your – the song is your baby and you're watching it. And, and in terms of altering it, making little changes as you go, uh, and for the very first time, what 12-song challenge really – I mean, I told you I wrote a little chorus mm-hmm. back in the 90s. But for, to truly come into – of the experience of writing a song specifically for your church to sing, for your congregation to sing, not your choir, not a group, not a solo. And we've done all those still, even through the 12 Song Challenge. And and even the uh, our host on 12 Song Challenge will say, you know, yeah, we're all supposed to be writing for our congregation, but sometimes a song takes its mm-hmm. own way once you get started. But I guess in that baby <clears throat> this is your child analogy. I I can barely put it into words um, this past year and a half. Just the humbling feeling, but also simultaneously exciting, almost breathless, to see people worshiping the Lord mm-hmm. and connecting to God through a song mm-hmm. and lyrics that he gave you. It's unbelievable. And it's almost like me talking with uh, the person this morning about just watching my mm-hmm. children grow up. And then yeah. I'm looking at my 20-year-old going saying, oh, my soul, she's a grown woman. And it's almost, it's almost the same thing. I'm just sort of in awe and shock, mm-hmm. you know, and I have felt that way. There's, there's a handful, five or six, you know, songs that we sing fairly regularly mm-hmm. now in the life of our our, our corporate worship here at First Baptist, and it's a you know it's the other side of that baby and being mm-hmm. vulnerable, and mm-hmm. we take the criticism, but we do it because we want it to be 
the very best it can be, mm-hmm. right. the song for whatever purpose, a solo, a choir, a group, <clears throat> or the congregation, and and then to see it come to full fruition. And Chris knows, playing in our <laughs> orchestra or band, that yeah. you know it, our songs have shifted a little bit. And I've mm-hmm. done one and said, oh, my word, this is entirely too long. Mm-hmm. Okay, we need to do two verses back-to-back before I put that new chord. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. things have shifted, and we've changed the key on mm-hmm. some things and made it better. But it's... Uh, I, I can't. I, I can't. I can't describe that feeling. Um, being the worship leader, who's you know looking at the, we have a bird's eye view. Mm-hmm. We can see everybody's faces. And um, I mentioned to the pastor that um, I, I noticed somebody it was actually his wife. <laughs> mm-hmm. I said I noticed that Miss Karen cried all the way through Emmanuel. Mm as we sang it Sunday Mm -hmm. and he said it was a good sobbing I said oh no I knew that it was she was Mm -hmm. engaged in the worship time but I I can't even describe that feeling it's Mm -hmm. very humbling it makes you feel good it's not a it's not a boastful prideful thing I'm proud that the Lord used me to to accomplish something Mm -hmm. that he wanted to accomplish but it's very humbling Mm -hmm. um, to look out and it's it's hit me a couple of times this year in the middle of a worship service I almost have to stop singing because I just look out and I'm just think every person in this room is singing these words mm-hmm. it's it's such a it's such a strange feeling and maybe because it's so i hope i don't ever lose that feeling actually yeah. but it's kind of it's so new for me in the last year and a half yeah. that's cool so i've told doug before that i i really like playing on a new song because it's like hey we're getting this is the first you know it's when this yeah. is the first time that anybody's hearing this besides that you guys that have worked on it it's like well this is cool to have the opportunity to to just be a part of it. So that's neat. That's neat for us as the orchestra or whoever's musicians that are playing on it to be able to do that. Um, so something I wanted to ask you all about songwriting, kind of general approach and how you think about this, because now both of you have had a lot of time thinking about how you write songs. As a listener and, and writing songs and things, I'm always, one of the things that I've started to respect more and more are hit songs or song popular songs that are incredibly simple and I always and I always try to look at it like what makes this song work so well when it's so simple and so one that that my uh, I have a band with my dad and my son that we you know play around town farmers market and stuff like that one of the art the popular songs that we do is called, it's called Tulsa time it was a is the song of the year in 1972 for Don Williams he has two chords that's it. Wow. Two chords, two major chords. And I was like, why does that song work so good? You know, you write these songs, all these different chords, and it's like, well, that, whoever wrote that, he made that work with just two of them. And then there's another. There's he wasn't a, even worried about subdominant. <laughs> not even. <laughs> and then there's a. Yeah, didn't even call it that. There's a Linda Ronstadt song, It's So Easy to Fall in Love. Mm-hmm. And if you know that one line, you know the whole song. Right. That's it. So it's like, do, do, do y'all ever, have you ever put in any, any thought into like, wh- how do you intentionally make something simple or is that just not the way you approach it so 12 song challenge has Mm -hmm. challenged me with this Mm -hmm. Um, before really before I even thought about writing things that the choir could sing or the congregation you know it was solo stuff and and it was all about to me anyway it was you know writing good lyrics writing good music but man when I recorded it I I did as much crazy stuff as I could (laughs) to show off a little bit, you know, like I I can do this flexible run right here, listen to that guitar, you know, but writing simply has been kind of tough. And I I think that the first month 
um, of the songwriting challenge, that song had some things that would be difficult for everyday, you know, congregation member to do. And I, and I took note of that. The next couple months, I got a little bit simpler. It's hard to write simple mm-hmm. um, because you're thinking subdominance. You know, yeah. you're, thinking, you're thinking that kind of stuff, and everybody doesn't. So you have to write simpler. And, and to do that, you pretty much have to take away some of the things that make it you, mm-hmm. some of the things that are stylistic that people would recognize, oh, well, that's Tim Goodson. He does that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You got to take some of that stuff away because not everybody can do those same things. Right. Um, but... But when me, you're talking about the, the songs that are that are really simple that resonate with people that, that, that are popular, it has to do with connection. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, can the people connect with it? Is it singable? Is it memorable? Mm-hmm. Is it, it right. is the content uh, related to them in some way? Can everybody identify? Mm-hmm. And and the song like it's so easy to fall in love. You know, it's such an easy little riff. Very few chords in that song. Mm-hmm. So any guitar player can play it. Any singer can sing it because of the range and the singability, uh, and you know it just yeah. it kind of had a groove to it that people like. So yeah. mm-hmm. that that makes a hit song. That's what makes a popular song to me. Mm-hmm. Is, is I think twelve song, twelve song challenges made me focus on that too, and it's been almost more of a lyric focus for me because I my my writing partner I used to write with. Uh, years back in Tupelo would always say I was long in the tooth and so if I'm not careful and that's part of that British upbringing creative writing and flowery and just too many words Mm -hmm. just a little too verbose I've got a lot to say yeah (laughs) you know uh, but I've written a couple of different times for um, my first and second grade choir Mm -hmm. and I've done it this season Um, I did a I did a a piece called Emmanuel God with the God who's with us. Mm-hmm. And and the congregation has sung it all through the season. But when I first started to write it, I thought, well, I want I want to write this for the congregation, but I want to write it simple enough that the first and second graders can be the first ones to sing it mm-hmm. in church and go from there teaching it to the congregation. Right. And so in fact and then when I put it on Twelve Song Challenge, I almost felt a little almost embarrassed like I even said in the early I said now okay now I wrote this to be really simple you know I was almost apologetic yeah. you know about it and they were like well a task accomplished I mean you really did this is this is very simple it's very singable but I think I've had to do that I've had to I've had to put myself in the mindset of writing for a younger crowd mm-hmm. but there have been times with the congregation that I've I've tried to say this is too wordy this is too many words right. to say so if I that's that's the making it simpler for me because I feel like I can write simple melodies. And, you know, we kind of say in the music minister world these days for your congregation, it's it's stay within C to C pretty much, you know, vocal range. And so, I mean, if it's going to be a solo piece, yeah, I'm going to take that key change maybe a second time. Yeah. And it's going to be right on up there. But if we're ever going to do the congregation, it can't do that. Yeah. So, but for me, it's more of a lyrical having to be careful. Right. For simplicity than, than it is musical. But the other th- interesting thing is what you said about like you get done with it and you're like, okay, now I got to show this to people and it only has two chords. Are they going to think I only know two chords? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> I've been there, done that. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I've written, I've written some songs uh, before that, 
you know, I thought were complete, but I went back and changed it because I'm like, this is, it's not involved enough. It's not colorful enough. It's not this, you yeah. know, so I, I would throw in sevens on every single chord. Yeah. My minor, major, whatever, it did, but yeah. I had to have a seven or a two or something yeah. in the chords, you know, and, and make sure that there's at least six different chords in, in the progression. If yeah. there's not at least five or six chords, then I'd go back. So. <laughs> and then how great our God has made. How many millions of dollars? Yes. <laughs> well, and but I, I was going to say, though, something about that, too, about praise and worship songs. Because there there are praise and worship songs that you know I see that are new, and I just think, oh, there's no possible way this is not singable for a congregation. Yeah. But then, uh, but then the, then there are those that are simple, and we kind of laugh about oh, this one only has four chords. But as a musician, and my wife and I have always said this, you know, when when you hear people say, well, I mean, I don't even know this song, so I mean, it's hard for me to follow along. And I would think well, they're obviously not a musician because I can tell, I can tell where the melody's going. Yeah. You know, I can I can jump in and sing along the first time I hear it because yeah, right. you know it it is simple in that way. And you're right that with our children too, it just helps them just grab something really mm-hmm. quickly. So. The other thing too is a lot of songs, and I know when you're writing a song, you're probably not thinking about how is this going to be used and interpreted 50 years from now. But, you know, you take a song like How Great Thou Art or Amazing Grace or some of these songs that the original form is very simple and musicians keep going back to them because there's so much room because the original is so simple and the original melody is so simple. Mm -hmm. There's so much room for creativity as a musician. If I'm doing a solo over that song, you know, I don't have to hit, you know, a bunch of, you know, subdominance or diminished chords or anything like that. I've got a lot of flexibility. No restraint. Um, right, right. It's just you can get very creative with it. Um, but that, that does bring me to another question, which is, so y'all are doing this 12-song challenge. How do you strike the balance? Because you're writing for your congregation. How do you strike the balance between expressing something that's really true for you or that's a, that's a, that's a sentiment that you is, is authentically yours so that this is, because you mentioned, I don't want people to know that this is a Doug Spire song, but I also think that that's cool in a way because it's like, it means that it, those songs are an authentic expression of Doug, mm. which I think people connect with. I, I mean, or not, I'm, I know people connect with that. You know what I mean? Because it's not just ultra generic choir song, right? So how do you strike the balance of keeping a song that's authentic to the, the idea or the thought or the feeling that you had at that time versus something that everybody can get attached to. Well, I can tell you pretty simply, and this goes right back to seminary. So I believe that worship is a dialogue, essentially, between mm-hmm. the worshiper and, and God, that God reveals himself, we respond. And, mm-hmm. and all through worship, God reveals, we respond. God reveals, we respond. Confession, you know, we confess, the Bible says, First John 1, 9, we confess our sins. You know, the Lord, he, he's going he's gonna to forgive. So uh, I, I think in our particular denomination, we miss that some. Uh, we miss that confessional mm-hmm. moment some. Um, and then the Lord forgives and we rejoice. And so for me, it's, uh, it, it's coming from a personal place, mm-hmm. but um, I'm really conscious that I'm writing, I'm writing words that I want 
everybody else to be able to express and things that I think that we need to express Mm -hmm. corporately, but we also need to express as individual believers Mm -hmm. um, before the Lord that just really fits into whether it's just, it's, you know, uh, adoration. God has revealed himself as just sovereign and majestic. We often begin our worship services there Mm -hmm. at First Baptist, who God is, just a recognition of who he is. And we invite him to be here. Actually, he invited us before we came. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just the, (coughs) whether it's that thought or, you know, um, I say if you follow Isaiah 6, you can see that model there that Isaiah sees the Lord for who he is. And he says, oh, he has a woe unto me moment, <coughs> I call it. And we need those woe unto me moments. And uh, and if I'm not careful, I write a lot of confessional type songs. Mm-hmm. And I'll think, golly, that's why I want the congregation to know these are mine. They'll think, what kind of a sinner is he? I know, I've been there doing that. You got to be careful. <laughs> Same as all the rest of us. Yeah. But... Um, one of the challenges last year was to write, and it was it was to write really a COVID pandemic mm-hmm. song for your church, your church's experience mm-hmm. 18 months into the pandemic. And out of that, I wrote a song called Jesus, My Rock of Ages. Mm-hmm. And the expression, and it, that was really cool. And that's probably one of the first moments I really saw that happen, that we were collectively expressing something that had been our journey mm-hmm. as a congregation here, that, you know, sometimes my faith is small until after the journey's done. Mm-hmm. You never faltered at all. The battle was already won. And, you know, I wrote that for myself. Uh, but I had walked the same path that everybody else in the church had. And yeah. so it, 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 it is it is a, a neat thing. But yeah. I know exactly what you're saying, striking that balance. But And if and sometimes, you know, I, I typically always write lyrics first. That's just who I am. Mm-hmm. If I have an idea, a line comes to me, whew, I can flesh mm-hmm. out that lyric pretty quickly. I mean, I may alter it and all, but uh, usually it's always lyrics for me first. Mm-hmm. And um, if I may th- intend it to be congregational, I think we mentioned this earlier, and a song begins to take its mm-hmm. own path. And then I realize, no, this is really personal. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, it just becomes a solo piece. Yeah. You know, something for, it'll be used in the context of a worship time, but it'd be for me to express personally yeah. or somebody else because it it just got more personal than it was corporately. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, Tim, what do you have? What are your thoughts on that? So whenever whenever I write, uh, I think I think we were talking about, you know, the kind of the balance between your idea of what you want to put out there and then what the the listener Mm -hmm. takes in, receives, perceives. My ultimate goal um, with what I write, because it's Christian music, Mm I. Obviously, we all write through a lens. Mm-hmm. We write through our own experience. But my ultimate goal is to make sure that every song that I put out there for someone else to hear um, speaks the truth of the word. Yes. Um, if it's not in the word, then I don't want it in my songs. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, I don't want to put any uh, opinions about the word in my mm-hmm. song. I try right. to make it as scriptural as mm-hmm. possible. That's the reason why that, that one guy, when he was, yes. when, it, it was an es- eschatological disagreement, you know, talking about heaven versus, anyway. I was, <laughs> look, look, I'm not putting my opinion on this. this now, is scriptural. hold on one second. <laughs> not all of my listeners are Baptists. Or right. Define eschatological for us. Oh, wow. That, so eschatology, the study of end times. Um, okay. Primarily found, you know, in Daniel and Revelation, uh-huh. some of the prophets. But anyway, well, you know, the, the, I got to get into it. I gotta, I gotta, he I gotta sent me a ahead. screenshot. I got to get into it. What in the world? 
So you, the, all you did was say everybody's going to go to heaven when well, we know the Lord. I did. Bless and the guy was like, yeah, but, but um, some of us don't believe that. Yeah, yeah. We're not going so, to all end up in, we're not going to be in heaven. His, That's not his argument was based on the writings of N.T. Wright. <laughs> and, and there is this new movement right now that says there, there we will not exist in, in heaven for eternity. That's not a thing. That's, a, I guess, an allegory or a, a metaphor or that kind of thing. Anyway, so I was like, okay, but what about the scriptures that talk about about, you know, heaven, like us being there and about it being eternal and about the Father being there on his throne and all the. Anyway, so whenever I write a song, I promise I'm not trying to right. project. You're not going to see me write a song that deals with uh, predestination. Right. Election. I'm not going right. to do it because I know that that's a very divisive song, a very divisive topic. Uh-huh. I'm not going to do that. But when it comes to God's love, um, uh, God's forgiveness, God's compassion, those kind of things, they're just very, very in the word kind of truths. Mm-hmm. They're not something that you have opinions about. Right. So getting back to what I was saying, it is, you know, something that's on my heart to write, something that is in my mind mm-hmm. and to write. But whenever it finally gets written and makes its way to the audience, my, my prayer is that they hear biblical truth, not Tim Goodson's right. opinion. Exactly. Um, although, you know, sometimes I'll throw in my spin on something. I still don't want it to be right. a Tim Goodson opinion. I want it to be what the Word says. Yeah. And, and you and I are exactly the, the same word. about this. I mean, every song that we approach, I think we've talked about this, whether it's a hymn or a, a, a praise and worship song, it has to meet certain criteria. Right. I mean, it has to pass the litmus test. You know, uh, it has to be doctrinally sound, theologically correct. But it, it also, it, it has to, we've talked about connection. It has, it can't just be a whole bunch of words that nobody even knows. I have a hard time with real archaic language in some of our hymns. And I'm, uh, I'll look for a fresher version or rewrite it myself. It, it's got to be understandable to the congregation if that truth is going to be conveyed. But it's got to pass, and then it's got to be singable, of course. Yeah. But that's almost far down the list. It has to first be. Uh, there are songs that have come out, artists, well-known artists have put out, and I love the song until a certain line. And I'm like, nope. No, absolutely not. And, uh, and there's I'll, been a few of those for me too. And I'll have church members say, "Why don't we sing so and so song?" And I'm like, "Because mm, of two words." It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> well, but, let me but so, And all I'm saying is that you know mm-hmm. that's the litmus test for every other song that we're trying to allow the you know the Lord to lead us and guide us to what He wants to hear His people sing. Mm-hmm. So the same litmus test. Yeah. Uh, applies to us. So I got I got to stop you right there because something you said reminded me of the song that you wrote that you talked about the um, uh, Jesus my, maybe it was Jesus my rock of ages, but we were talking about the the word Ebenezer. Yes, you yeah. know because I've um, I've sung that uh, that song here. I raise my Ebenezer. Uh-huh. Come thou fountain. You come thou fountain. One of my favorites. I love to play it and sing it. And I was, however, 38 years old or however many, 39 years old when I finally knew what the heck that was talking right. about. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that's a prime example. That's a prime example. And actually. And when you know it's a beautiful lyric. And that yeah. was the but 12 song know. challenge. That yeah. was the 12 song challenge was write an Ebenezer song. Yeah. And you have to go back into scripture and realize that an Ebenezer is a stone of help, essentially kind of an yeah. altar yeah. built before the Lord. And so, yes, long before I wrote Jesus, My Rock of Ages, uh, I, every time I would either use an alternate verse for that mm-hmm. instead of the word Ebenezer 
or I always I had to explain it yeah. as the intro to the song. I would say, we're about to sing, I raise my Ebenezer. I'm raising my stone of help to the Lord this yeah. morning because we need it. I would feel I had to. I cannot let the congregation. People out there with the message translation be like, thinking, mm-hmm. well, well, I ain't got that in there. Well, and, you know what, yeah. and you know what? They're, you know who they're immediately thinking, Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. And then everybody's mind is off of the Lord, and now we're on to Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. So, right. yeah, exactly. And one of my favorite hymns, uh, has prostrate and diadem. All hail the power of Jesus. As a child, I was like, I don't know what that is, but I like it. Yep. <laughs> Angels prostrate fall and, and royal diadems. All right, so since we're on this topic now, the song Reckless Love stirred up. I, we've only done it one time. Bit of, we bit only of a did it one time here, and I got pushback from a couple of folks, and I said, okay, it's obviously not. But the youth did it, I believe, right? The youth had done it. They knew yeah. it. And I was intentionally trying to use some youth songs uh-huh. in our congregation, in corporate worship, and I, I wasn't real opposed to it. I would have picked a different word than reckless, but I knew what, I understood what the writer was trying to say, but by and large in the congregation, they didn't like it. I, I, really? Well, I got two or three. Who I got was a, that that wrote that? Was that Matt Brock? Uh, uh, no, 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 Corey Asbury. Okay, was it Corey? Yeah. yeah. So it's Who, a Bethel song. It's on top a Bethel of that. song. Whoever, whoever it was. So he, there is a video on YouTube that after the song came out, and I heard it a couple times, I was like, that, that was just a bad choice. Uh, and immediately, the first word, you know, as as a writer, lyricist, what we do is we try to think, how can we fix it? And I was like, well, why didn't he just say restless? Love, yeah. you know, but I was like, well, that kind of runs into the same problem. So I was against the song. I was like, you know, just uh, a bad choice. And if it was a one one and done kind of thing, but but it's literally every course and right. it's the name of the song. Yes. And then I went and watched the YouTube video where he talked about it. Really. Um. And and when you listen to his heart on the song, I'm like, okay, yeah, I totally get what he's saying. I got well, I got it immediately what he was trying to say, but I actually had doubts about using it, and that's the only one I can think of for in the five years I've been here. That I gave over and 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 I wasn't a hundred. I usually have to be a hundred percent sure. Well, and I and wasn't a hundred percent sure on that with, song. And with, I did it anyway. With that particular song, and and I've used that song as an example. There, there's a young man in Florence that I mentored um, for the last, I guess, five of the six years I was there. Um, and and you know he he started leading worship for the youth group, um, and and he would come to me and say, "Will you print this chart?" And I'm like, "No, I won't." Well, why not? I said, "Because it's, it's heresy. <laughs> we're not we're not singing it." You know, uh, and 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 I kind of talked to him about what what makes songs fit for worship, what makes songs not fit for worship, um, and and in all of that a discussion came up where I talked about words. Words have so much meaning. They they have baggage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. we, we've made reckless to be a really, really bad word. Yeah. Because and why? That, that reckless the, drivers. That was the thing. Bad, the connotation right? for the word yeah. reckless. Right. But if you go and look at the definition of reckless, it's basically yeah. just, you know, completely uh, abandoned, you know, mm-hmm. type response. Uh-huh. You know, that we've messed up so much and, and, and the story of the one sheep and the 99 sheep is, is perfect. Because well, he did totally abandon without any mm-hmm. regard for consequences. You know, I just thought about you weren't born yet, probably, in the <laughs> 80s, but the mm-hmm. song, the, It's your stubborn love that never lets go of me. Go. I don't understand. <laughs> and see, probably not the best stay. choice. <laughs> stubborn. Yeah. But. That was a real popular song back in the mid-late uh, 80s. But again, words have baggage. Stubborn words. is a bad thing. That's right. You know? And that's my stubborn thing with him. That's my thing, thing with hymns today yeah. where we come across words that you know what they meant in the context then. They will not mean that in the context right. now. I am not about I don't want to I don't want to ever use a word even if the people understand it. I don't want to use a word that will be distracting in worship. Yeah. So we're not going to sing ass uh, ox and ass before him. 
and bow. We're yeah. just not going to because that'll be distracting. All the kids will giggle. <laughs> the parents will be trying to hush them up. The parents will be Some thinking, of the adults might Some giggle. of the seniors will think, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we just sang that, even though they sang it that In way sharp, all the time. You know, yeah. And so, you know, you're going to sing Ox and Lamb or Ox and Beast. <laughs> <laughs> anyhow anyhow interested to, to hear both of y'all because that was one that i think like what we were talking about I'm, I'm sure that Corey asbury when he wrote that it was like expressing something really true for him and he didn't mean it in anything unbiblical i don't think he did but it's also one that as but it doesn't work it just doesn't work now i will say this too because this kind of segues into uh, i have friends that are not going to use Corey asbury's music because he's bethel mm-hmm. music and I've thought through all of that argument. I've heard the arguments. I'm not using it because it's Bethel. I'm not using it because it's uh, uh, Hillsong yeah. you know, or something. And I have just I have just finally concluded we were already singing Christ Be Magnified here before I even knew it was a Bethel song. Mm-hmm. And I look at that song. I can't find anything theologically incorrect in that song. I wish I had written that lyric. I think that the, the writing is so creative. Which one? That's the uh, we're creation. He's on my Christ be magnified. Christ be magnified. Uh, I, I love it. I really love it. And but I have friends that would say, eh, "I am not using that. We're not going to support Bethel." So I, <clears throat> here's where I come back to. I just say, "Well, you know, it is well with my soul." We love to tell him a story of that, but we leave out the fact that Horatio Spafford was an apostate at the end of his life. He turned from the Lord. Mm. And so, but we haven't dissed that song and thrown it away. So I, I've just gotten to a point where I have to say, I'm going to the litmus test. Is it theologically correct? Is it Christocentric? Is it, you know, is is there anything wrong with it, you know, doctrinally? Then we'll think about who wrote it. And if I can't find anything wrong with this, I just, I, I, I have to believe, I really do, that that the Lord uses Christ be magnified in our congregation when yeah. we sing it. I see people really engaged in the worship. Well, community. most people probably have no idea of where it comes from. And they from don't know or, that anyway. Yeah. And I know it gets deeper than that into folks saying, well, you're supporting their ministry and they believe in things we don't believe and we're not going to financially support that. And I've just reached a point to just say, you know what, I'm going to go with the song. And if a song mm-hmm. is a good song and I think the Lord can use it in worship, then I'm just going to use it. I don't know. You may feel different. Well, um, Yes, but <laughs> one thing one thing I, I will say about worship from from a couple of different places. You know, Bethel's one elevation has mm-hmm. uh, has some issues, and even Hillsong's worship has had some issues. Um, I, I just draw a very hard line, mm-hmm. and in some for some it's too hard of a line. Mm-hmm. If if ninety nine percent of the song is theologically accurate, but one percent is not, I'm not going to sing it. Mm. Um, it's kind of like right. if if you go your entire life proclaiming the name of Jesus, a gunman puts their gun to your head and you say they say deny Jesus or I'll kill you. Okay, I deny him. I deny. Well, you went your entire life not doing that, but the one time God I'm doesn't smile on that because He says, you know, anybody that denies me, I will deny him. So it's kind of like whenever I sing a song that has something so blatantly um, untheological, uh, I, I kind of feel like I'm denying him in a way, and, and I'm just not willing to do that. Mm. Um, when, when it comes to reckless love, I didn't see anything that denied the character of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but other songs, you know, one of the songs that this young man I mentored brought to me was a song called, I think it's called A Billion Times or Ten mm-hmm. Billion Times, yeah. whatever. Um, you know, and I started reading it, and, and you know, the, I think it's the second verse, whatever it was, so talking about I, creatures, I, yeah. so will I, creatures evolving in pursuit of what you said. I'm like, ah, that's, that's evolution. And, you know, while I do have an opinion 
a creationist opinion of what Scripture says. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into that because I don't believe that that's accurate. Right. You know, the evolution thing. Uh, so I told them, don't sing it. You know, the other one that a lot of people got stuck on, I did, um, was Hillsong's uh, What a Beautiful Name. Mm. Loved the song. Loved the song. Wanted to sing the song, and I even did so when I changed the lyric, but you didn't want heaven without us, so you brought heaven. I was like, ah, that's just, that's an opinion. That's just not biblical. Um, it's not a good thought. Uh, saying that God is insufficient. Mm. I'm not willing to sing that line. Mm-hmm. Others may be able to, yeah. and they may have a clear conscience, but I can't have a clear conscience and sing something like that because it's basically saying that my God is not perfect. My God, in fact, is perfect. Mm. Um, so insufficiency is not on his character sheet. So breaking news for the first time ever, <laughs> music of the River City <laughs> listeners are learning that Christians do not agree about everything. Oh my people goodness. are going to be, people are gonna be shocked <laughs> to learn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Because I've actually never read that line. That I, I would just, when he actually. said that, I was like, I, I've, we've done that and I've heard that so many times. Because I think of that line as the Lord loved us so much. He sent, he sent heaven's jewel right. down to make sure that he, he, we were going to have a right. way, but but you but you do see where the but line yeah, kind of leans to, in my in my hearing anyway. It leans towards you know you didn't if if you couldn't have us you didn't want heaven. Well, heaven was there before we were, so uh, he <laughs> wanted true. heaven without us. Oh, um, that's Chris, just a it false sounds point. like I'm going to have something to consider. Stirring up. That one well, well, <laughs> I'm not trying to stir a pot here. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm the one that, that got us off on this tangent, but. Um, no, it's funny because I've always, like like they said, I've always interpreted that of uh, not that God thought that heaven was insufficient, but it was his desire that we be to heaven, which is, to me aligns with it is not God's will that anyone should perish. But it all, So to me, I've always, the way right. I've heard it, it always aligned perfectly with what, you know, Scripture. But I do see what you're saying right. when, you, when you put it that way. So I guess a lot of it falls to the listener and how you hear it the first time. Right. Um, I actually, for for those that are listening to the podcast that that agree with me and that want to change, <laughs> um, I did change the line. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. I changed it to we couldn't reach you in your glory, mm. so then Jesus, you brought heaven. That's down. perfect too. Because that that I think more adequately projects the message of the scripture is that we were the ones that were imperfect. <laughs> God was not. We I were. have been known to change, change a couple lyrics. Oh, yeah, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> There's a. Um, a song that I like to sing called uh, You're the Joy of My Life, which is a um, Chris Stapleton song mm-hmm. that he sings to his wife. It's a beautiful song, sentiment about his wife. And there's one line in there that says, I may not go to heaven, but I walked with the angels that day. And every time I sing that song, I cannot bring myself to say I may not go to heaven because I'm like, no, I'm going to heaven. I'm not going <laughs> to sing that. So I change it to I'm still on my way to heaven. But I walked with the angels that day. Sometimes you just got to make it fit what yeah. you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and there's another song. I think it's by the script. Um, you know, I think I mentioned my wife and I. We like to play at Burgers and Blues. Uh, we just we play secular, clean secular music. And yeah. one of the songs that the script does, I'm still alive, but I'm barely breathing. Just pray to the God I don't believe in. I had to change it. I was like, you know yeah. what? I can't even sing it. I don't care if it's their song. No. I can't. I, I, I do can't it do too it. with secular stuff. I'm like, oh. I, I think I changed it to just pray to the only God I believe in. Yeah. Hey, there you go, Christian <laughs> friends. Yeah. We changed it. So, Yeah, that's anyway. funny. Uh, yeah, sometimes there's just a, it's just a one little bridge too far. You can't do it. Um, well, guys, we're we're coming up on 90 minutes, but this has been a lot of fun. Hey, oh, yeah. I've enjoyed getting well, to know you. both of y'all better. I feel like I know Doug, but I always learn something new about Doug when we have a long conversation like this. Mm-hmm. And, Tim, it's been great to meet you. So before we wrap this thing up, 
I would love to throw everything to me in here because this is one that Doug wrote, Tim arranged and sang on. Great song. So we'll we'll end with that one. But before I do, you had mentioned a website that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, well, and I mean, not not talk about, but anybody that's listening that wants to hear some of my writing, there, there's a little bit of something for everyone. Um, there's there's kind of country influence, blues, rock. Uh, pop. I even have a rap song on there. Like Ooh, I, I literally and dabble heard in everything. <laughs> um, but the website is timgoodson.com. Navigate to the music tab. Um, and the most recent are at the top. I don't know what I'm doing in my hand. They can't see what I'm doing. Uh, the, the most recent titles are at the top. Um, the one that I wrote for this month, um, What a Day, is f- focusing on the global church. Um, and I even subtitled it The Sippy Mix. Mm. Uh, that's kind of a little uh, head nod to all my sippy folks because this is a UK-based thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, it ain't all about the UK. We've got some blues down in the sip. Mm. So anyway, so that's the newest ones at the top. And all okay. the other ones that I've written this year, they're they're labeled at you know 12SC and then what month they were written. So anyway, check it out if you got time. Yeah, okay. definitely. And we need to mention that we've talked about 12 Song Challenge the whole time. So if somebody is interested in looking into that and being a part, yes. and you can still join this yeah. three months mm-hmm. in. You can join any time of the year. Uh, it's resoundworship.org. Right. I, I think it's, I think it's roughly $45, $50 for the, yeah, for the year it's subscription. Not, yeah, it's, um, and it's that, not uh, and the cool thing now, at this point, they can't, they can't do it unless they they're able to go back and write songs for the last month. But if you write a song, finish a complete song every month, and then you comment on at least three other songs, uh-huh. I think they give you their yearbook, their songbook of the year. Mm-hmm. At the end of the year, you know, one of your songs will be featured, and you know. A song from everybody else. It's cool. Yeah. I, I was kind of jealous last year yeah. when, when you got your songbook and it had you know, all the song in it. You know what was in it? Everything to me Everything was the to one me that was I in picked. There, I didn't get a so copy. You didn't get a copy of it. I'll show you that book while you're here. <laughs> well, thank you. I'll get to look at it. That'd be great. Awesome. And Doug, do you have any equivalent uh, ways that people can? hear your music um you know i'm trying to get there so i was inspired by tim's uh i'm not gonna give you the website because i just keep an online resume updated (laughs) all the time and i don't want everybody to have access to my resume you don't need that but i am going to actually update that this year okay and um so just watch on tim's site maybe he'll credit (laughs) me somewhere (laughs) my website well you're credited for everything to me that one i'm I'm, I'm planning to update that year this year my dad is always asking me, can you just make a CD of all the songs you've done? And I keep thinking, well, it's easier than that. If I would get them all together in one spot on, on one of my websites, mm-hmm. <laughs> we could uh, he just have access everywhere. So that's coming. All right. Stay tuned for more. All right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Music of the River City. I had a really great time hanging out with Doug and Tim and talking about songwriting, and I'm going to let you hear one of the songs that they collaborated on, Everything to Me, as we end this episode. Make sure you check out Music of the River City on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Music of the River City, and please tell a friend about the show. Thanks for listening to Music of the River City. Here's Everything to Me by Doug Spires and Tim Goodson. Take me back to that first moment When I gave my heart to you To your precious blood's atonement That made the old brand new Lord, accept my resignation From this kingdom that I've made My selfish exaltations 
hearts and these empty accolades again I place my life down at your feet it's your mercy and forgiveness that I seek you're the way I follow every step you're the truth I trust in no one else You're the life Death has no hold on me You're everything I want You're everything I need You're everything to me When the Sin seems thrilling, and I forget the cost is high. When my flesh is weak and willing, when I embrace the pride of life, lead me back to full submission. Lord, remind me one more time of your willful crucifixion, where death's victory was denied. Again I place my life down at your feet It's your mercy and forgiveness that I seek You're the way I'll follow every step You're the truth I'll trust in no one else You're the Everything I need, you're everything to me.